Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope, my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. It's good to be back. It's been, um, I've been off on summer break now for a few weeks and it's good to be back and to be part of our community once again after the summer break. Uh, just before I jump into some of the uh, content of our message today, I want to actually uh, bring you up to speed on some things that are happening around the life of the church. Uh, one is on August uh, 7th, Saturday, August 7th, we're doing this Move for Freedom ride in support of Ally Global that is uh, an organization that is fighting against human trafficking. And uh, we have a team of people that are going to be uh, doing a kilometer ride on August 7th, right from our Poplar Hill uh, location. If you would like to be part of that, you can go to vitalpointchurch.com. We've set a goal of $5,000, and I believe we're at about 75% of that, so I believe that we can reach the 5000 So if you want to help support that, jump on to vitalpointchurch.com and support it. If you want to do the ride, you're more than welcome to join us as well. And uh, if you're like 100 kilometers, I can't do that. Well, we've broken it down for you as well, and so there's 25, 50, 75, and 100. I'm personally going to be doing the 100 kilometers, but we would love for you to join us and be part of that. All right. Also, want to talk about relaunch this fall. We are targeting to relaunch in-person gatherings this September, and uh, we're very, very excited about that, and the plans are already in motion for it. So let me just give you a heads up. September 5th, our current plan is to do a uh, VPC-wide outdoor service on that Sunday morning on the property in Poplar Hill. So if you're within driving distance, we want to encourage you to be part of that gathering that morning. We're going to do baptisms. We'll offer baby dedications. Uh, I'm going to be doing a talk on the vision of Vital Point Church. It's going to be uh, an exciting celebration that morning. It's also the seventh anniversary of Vital Point Church, too. So we've got... Yes, we've got a handful of the tech team that are clapping here today, and it's so good to see you guys in the room, actually. Uh, and so keep that in mind. Here's the other thing that's absolutely essential for us. September 12th, mark it down in your calendar, our current plan is to do in-person gatherings in our Poplar Hill location and in our Exeter location. So we're going to be moving back to in-person gatherings. Uh, we're going to keep the online as well. So those of you who participate from a distance online, we're going to keep the online obviously for you. And so we're not going to uh, squash that. We're going to keep that going. But uh, here is a critical piece of information for all of us. It doesn't matter if you've been around seven years or seven days or even seven hours for that matter. We are viewing this as a relaunch of Vital Point Church, which means this. Anyone and everyone can be part of this. We are so excited that you can be part of this new thing that God is doing around Vital Point Church as we move to in-person. So we need to rebuild our teams. We have a month to do this. So I'm asking everybody, all of us who are thinking about being, making this your church, is go to vitalpointchurch.com, 
Fill out the relaunch card. Let us know where you're interested in serving and we'll get you plugged in. You're like, no, Ron, I'm already a greeter in one of our locations. I don't need to sign up. Yes, you do. Respect the system because the staff of the church are working hard to put teams together, schedules together, and we don't want anyone to fall through the cracks. So sign up today, especially our Poplar Hill region. We're doing a terrible job of signing up. So we need to sign up for that and get back in the game on this. We can't wait in person September 12th in both Exeter and Poplar Hill. All right. So if you are jumping into our service today, right now, just for the talk, I want to introduce myself again. My name is Ron, and I'm the pastor here at Vital Point Church. This summer, we have been in this incredible series called Hebrew Words, and what we've been doing is we have been exploring these words that are uh, a word and and a language that we don't often speak or really look at all that often, but we have felt strongly that this particular series would have extreme relevance for us today. Here's why. Hebrew words that we've been looking at for the first part of the summer, we're going to continue to look at over the rest of the summer, have a dynamic to them that speaks right into where we find ourselves today, right into our lives. So there's a view which which we can take of these Hebrew words that definitely is a big picture perspective of the words as we begin to learn them and discover them, but we also see how they fit into our lives, how they can move us forward in our understanding of what it means to follow God, to worship God, to love God, how to live out our faith in a way that honors Him. Now, What is really, really exciting about this series for me is this, as I've watched and I've, you know, watched it over the past number of weeks, is, is this, is that when we begin to look at these words from a surface level, we begin to realize that there are multiple layers to these words that have incredible depth, that create uh, and, and spark our imagination as well. And that's what I love about this series, and I am so stoked to be able to talk about our word today. So I'm going to jump into our series uh, with the Hebrew word, and our word today is resh. We're going to put it on, on the screen for you. It's race, R-A-Y-S-H. And the meaning of it is this, poor or poverty, poor or poverty. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the word poor, what comes to your mind? When you think of the word poverty, what comes to your mind? Over the years, I've had the privilege of traveling. I've had the opportunity to speak in different countries and, and to be able to uh, be part of other faith gatherings. I've had the opportunity to be in Africa twice, and I've also traveled to India. One of the things that came to my mind as I thought about the word poverty or poor was my first trip to Africa. Uh, I had the privilege of speaking in a church in the slums of Nairobi. And one of the things that happened for me in that experience was we... um we arrived at the church building, and uh, I was able to preach and so on. And then I got a tour. The pastor showed me around their facility and their property. One of the things that he showed me was this hole in the ground where the church was built, the building was placed, and it was a hole in the ground. It was about 15, 20 feet deep, and, and it was just layers of garbage. And what I realized was that this church was actually built on a dump, on a garbage dump. When I finished looking at all this experience, I looked across this ravine and there was the dump out in front of me and I saw people searching for plastic bags. And I asked the pastor, what are they doing? 
And he said, well, that's how they make a living. They search for plastic bags and they take them and they sell them and that's how they live and that's how they make money. Interesting when I look at that, that perspective of understanding what it takes to make a living from looking for plastic bags in a dump. Now, when I was in India, I traveled around India for two weeks and I had the privilege of speaking and preaching in all these different environments. But one of the things I saw in parts of India was poverty and those images sticked in my mind. When I use the word poor or poverty, what comes to your mind? What are the images that you have? Maybe it's someone in your own neighborhood. Maybe it's someone in your own city or in your own town that you can think of when you think about the word poor. What is fascinating about this and this word uh, resh from the Hebrew language is that we see this word emerge actually in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first part of the Bible where we see God calling his people and multiplying and how God was working through his people. And there's an incident found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 from a guy's name of King David. Now, if you're not sure who King David is, uh, you've probably heard the phrase David and Goliath. This is where, uh, this is the character, the personality from the Old Testament that actually fought Goliath. And so King David was his name. What is fascinating about this moment in the Old Testament is that David, in this particular incident, actually did something that was outside of the design of how God wanted him to live. What he did was, in this moment, was he actually, as the king, was supposed to be at battle. You can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 11, the first three verses. It says that as kings in the spring go to battle, they were supposed to be out, but David wasn't. David was home on the roof of his palace, of the king's home, and what he's doing is he's taking a nap, then he gets up and he's walking around, and he looks down and he sees this woman taking a bath. In this moment, he does something outside of God's design for his life and for his leadership is he sees this woman and he wants to be with her. And so he sends someone, he summons her, she comes to him and they sleep together. Now, we must understand this moment that this is not what God had designed for him. It's outside of what he was supposed to do and how he was supposed to live. Now, typical to what God would do in these moments is God would confront David with this particular thing. And he sends this guy named Nathan. And Nathan shows up in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel and he confronts David and he tells him a story. He says, there's this rich guy. There's a rich guy and a poor guy. The rich guy has all that he had ever wanted or imagined. He could have whatever he wanted from a, from a materialistic perspective. But this rich guy has a visitor come, a traveler come. And what the rich guy does in this moment is he chooses not to take an animal from his own herd to provide for this traveler. He decides to go to the poor man's herd, which is one lamb. And the Bible describes, and Nathan describes it this way, that the poor man's one lamb was all he had, and he loved this lamb as if it was one of his own children. It literally ate from the table of the guy's home. I mean, how crazy is that? The rich man takes the poor man's lamb. Now, interesting when you think about this dynamic. We, on the surface level, go, okay, that's very interesting. You got a rich man and a poor man. I can get that. David is enraged by this, but then Nathan says, ah, you are that one. You are the rich man that has taken the poor man's things. You have stepped out of bounds. Now, interesting. 
I want you to think about this. When you realize the dynamic of this word resh, poor and poverty, it has very little to actually do with the perspective of material things. Because when you begin to unpack the word, you begin to realize that the word is actually attached to this idea of disorder, chaos, and the absence of peace. Disorder, chaos, absence of peace. What is fascinating about this moment, when you think about David, for example, is that David had everything. David was the king. He had everything at his fingertips. But yet, as we're going to see as we unpack the story, he lived from a place of disorder and chaos and the absence of peace. Fascinating. When you look at the word, uh, uh, when you look at the letter for resh, it's actually, uh, uh, it's got a horizontal and a vertical line to it which makes it look like this, which is a bent over position. When you think about chaos and disorder and the absence of peace, that is the picture that we see in this moment. It is living from a place of being bent over. Now, let's talk about this and unpack it at a deeper level that hopefully we'll understand. Because I believe that this word is critical to where we find ourselves today. When I think about disorder, chaos, and the absence of peace, what I've recognized is that, and from David's life in particular, and as I look at our own lives and what's going on in our culture and our society, is that oftentimes, when we live from a place of self, when we live from a place of self, it will always lead us to a place of disorder, chaos, and the absence of peace. It will be disorder, chaos, and absence of peace. Here's why. Because when we move and live and live in relationship and, and all aspects of our lives, when we live from a rage, the disorder, chaos, and absence of peace, it means there's the absence of the divine. It's the absence of the divine. This is very important dynamic to this. So when you think about what is going on right now in our culture and our society, we're told, and it sounds good on the surface, that you are to live from a place of self. You are to discover your own truth and you live from that truth. You are to be self-aware. You can identify with whatever you want. And we're beginning to hear these phrases and these terms more and more. Even more than that, what we're discovering is that when we look around us, that our lives, and there's a tone just under the surface of all this, is that there's a tone of uncertainty. There's confusion. There's anger. There's dissension. We're not even sure what to believe anymore. But yet, but yet, in this path of living from self and self-realization and self-truth, you be your truth, because that's your most, you know, that's your power, what we recognize that it will lead us down the path to confusion, chaos, and disorder. Why? Why is that? Because when you look at what the Bible teaches about our human nature, when we live from a place of self, it is absence of the divine, absence of the godliness of God's intent for us. We live often from a place of brokenness and this word called sin. We don't often like to talk about sin because it's an ugly three-letter word. But the reality is, when we live out of our brokenness, which can be ourselves, we always find our sense of chaos, confusion, and disorder. David knew this. David knew perfectly well what this was like in his life. When you read the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12, what you begin to see in this particular story is that David now, out of self, has to cover it up. 
Because when he slept with this woman, he got her pregnant. He got her pregnant. And she goes, you know, she was with him, then she goes back to her house, and then she sends message to David, I'm pregnant. What are you going to do now? Instead of owning it and confessing it, David, from a place of confusion disorder and the absence of peace, what he does is he tries to cover it up. This is the most unbelievable thing that he does. He actually summons Uriah, uh, Bathsheba's husband, to come home from battle. He says, come home. And he wines and dines him and then says, hey, listen, I want you to actually go and be with your wife, right? Go spend some time with your wife. Go sleep with your wife. And Uriah, he's like, not a chance. I can't go do this while my friends, my fellow soldiers are out at the battlefield. I can't do this. I can't go. And so, you know, David, he's just trying to create, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I got to cover this up. I got to solve this problem. And he gets deeper and deeper into it to the place. This is, this is crazy. The place where he eventually orchestrates Uriah's death. Death. He lived in a place of chaos and confusion and disorder and the lack of peace, which made him make decisions and choices that were outside of God's design for his life and his leadership. I mean, think about the power of what happens to us when we live from that place. I, I have a really deep concern right now. And I, I, you know, not only me as a pastor, but I, other pastors and church leaders are talking about this. The season of of uh, the, the, the COVID-19 or, or the pandemic and all the things that have been going on, what is happening is this, is that there is a move right now where people are beginning to walk away from fundamental truths of the Christian faith. There's like church people right now, followers of Jesus that are stepping back and saying, you know what? I'm gonna actually start listening to the voices of culture and society where I'm now going to you know, self-realize and find my own truth and maybe the things that I've been taught are not exactly what are, are really relevant for the 21st century. And what is happening is, is we're believing a lie that is leading us down a path that is a dead end. And I believe that it is important for us when we think about race is that that's where it's leading you to is the poverty of the soul, a, 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 a poverty of your spirit, a poverty in your life. And I want to talk about materialistic things because we've established this. You can have all the things in the world, but yet still feel empty on the inside. Why? It's because we're living from a place of self and we must be aware of this and we must be careful. Now, what I, I'm beginning to, uh, what I, I really love about this dynamic and about this word is that it's not just simply a great Hebrew word called resh that, that has this dynamic to it of poor. Uh, it's not just even this uh, kind of bent over posture that we kind of go, oh, that's kind of interesting and oh, that's you know intriguing. But what I believe it's doing today for some of us is that it's revealing the why behind the how you feel. I want you to think about this for a minute because there are some of us that are looking at our lives right now and we're going, oh, that's why I feel the way I do. Oh, that's why I feel so much disorder and chaos in my life. That's why I have no peace in my life is because I've been living from this place of self, which is the dead end. And you didn't even realize it. You didn't even recognize it. Because the more you hang on to your life, the more you grip it as much as you can and as hard as you can, living from that place of self, we end up 
just going deeper and deeper into Resh. Resh, here's, here's what I want you to know. Resh of itself, yes, reveals something, but it's leading us somewhere. I want you to know this. Resh is not just about living from a bent over place. It is actually living in a way that reveals what is going on inside of us, leading us to a place of finding the answer to the internal problem that we feel. See, if you were relying strictly upon all the external things, like, like if I, um, if I could just have more money, if I could have just a bigger house, or if I could watch more TV, or if I could just, you know, get a, whatever. We're looking to those things to give us something that will not give us. It won't give it to us. There's no sense of peace in those. Yes, it gives us satisfaction and happiness for a season. No question. But we must find ourselves in a way where we step into the reality that the rish is pointing us to something. And here's what it is. This is so interesting. When you take the actual symbol of Resh, and I think I'm doing it in the right direction for you. No, it's actually probably like this. When you actually put a little dash into it, there's a dash just around the, the actual Hebrew letter for Resh, which is the R. Uh, what that little dash represents is holiness, okay? This is so beautiful. Resh on its own, Absence, chaos, disorder, absence of peace. When you add the little tiny dash, which represents holiness, it means this, that you're one step away from moving back into the design of which God wants you to do and how he wants you to live, which means this, it's a relationship with him. It's a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ and is lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is, this is such an important dynamic to it. Because if Raish is the absence of the divine, then when we look at Raish moving us towards something, it's moving us towards understanding that the dash is going back into a relationship with God through Jesus. It's so beautiful and so powerful. You know, you can, like literally, you can't just live however you want. You can go through life however you want. There's, God's not going to force you into these things. He's just not. But here's the reality is he's offering to us this beautiful dynamic of entering back into because race will always lead us to transformation. Now, there's a few dynamics to this that is going to help us. Um, there's three things that come from the word, which is uh, thought, speech, and action. So when you begin to study this word and you begin to unpack it a little bit more, and um, as I had to do this week, uh, I, I realized that there's three dynamics to it. So uh, thought, speech, and action. Apart from the divine, apart from the godliness, those three, those three things in our lives act from a place of brokenness, which we defined as sin earlier. But when we move back into a place of holiness, there is a transformation of our thought, speech, and our action. That is the moving back into the relationship. This is why God sent his son, Jesus. When you think about the power of God's love for you and God's love for me is that through the person of Jesus Christ, he came and walked on this earth, he died on a cross, was buried and rose again three days later. He did this for what? So that we could be made right with him. But what is so interesting about the the thought, the speech and the action, which I'm gonna use the word obedience, is that the action is the very thing that brings about the dynamic of the holiness of God and the transformation is the acting out and living by faith in obedience to the things that God has called us to do. David's life again. 
Got to go back to David's life again. I want you to think about this. It, it literally says in, in, um, in second, uh, it says at the beginning of Second Samuel chapter 11, the first three verses, it actually says, and he gets up and roams around and he sees her. I want you to think about this. His actions as he sees her and thinks about this and then he follows through on it was the brokenness is the self. I want to be happy. I can do whatever I want. I'm in charge of my own life. We hear these phrases even today in, these, in our age. But if David had actually gotten up and actually said, you know what? I believe that God has called me to be the king, that God has called me to be with God's army going out. Then, and keep in mind, that's an ancient context, different from today. It, we would, he would have said, if I go in obedience and do what God has called me to do, to be with God's soldiers and God's army, then he would not have followed through. Why? Because he would have been obedient to the call of God, he would have been obedient to the divine, would have been obedient to the holiness of God. When we live outside of that obedience, it creates a brokenness. So when you think about this, it's a beautiful picture of where we're headed in our understanding of living out of a place of race, but then also adding the holiness, adding the divine. Now, as we continue to unpack this and begin to understand this from a bigger picture, we recognize that when we live from this place of obedience, it means that I'm going to actually be living from a place of obedience to the call of God in my life, not to what the culture and society tells me to live. I want us to hear that very clearly. Because if we're living from self, then we're, we've got more of an ear towards culture and society. But when I'm being obedient to God, living from a place of listening to more of God's influence in my life, then I'm reflective of the transformational work in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is neat about this is um, one, of, uh, one of the uh, dynamics of, of uh, the Bible is that the Bible can speak right into these things. And uh, it's interesting because when I think about the Christian faith, when I think about the journey of faith and what it means to live in obedience, it is the actions of our faith in obedience that brings life to our faith. It brings vibrancy. See, faith is not a dormant thing. It's a, it's a thing that's lived out on a daily basis. There's a, there's a New Testament book called James. And actually, James, uh, let me just read these verses for you. James chapter one, verse, or sorry, James chapter two, verse 26. It says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So when you recognize this, when you see this of, of, of of the thought, speech, and action is moving us towards living from a place of obedience and the power of it. But it's also a dynamic that James writes about in chapter four, verse 17. It says, "For so whoever knows the right things to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, we often think sin is this big, ugly thing that I do that you know puts distance between me and God. But distance between me and God can also happen when we know what we ought to do and we don't do it. This is why obedience is so critical to your faith journey, to my faith journey. When we're not living in obedience to God, we're living from a place of chaos and confusion, the absence of peace. When I begin each day to live in obedience to who he is in my life and what he's nudging me to do and how he's teaching me to live my life, we live from a place of order and peace in our lives. I think that's a part that so often we miss we sometimes miss the beautiful dynamic of what the Christian faith is about. So when, when you look at your life right now, and this is for all of us, when we look at our lives, 
And we kind of go, okay, I've got confusion and disorder in, in my family. I've got confusion and disorder in my heart. I've got confusion and disorder in my finances, in my relationships. And, and we're seeing this dynamic right now across the board in our culture. We have to step back one step and take a look at our lives and recognize that maybe the chaos and disorder and confusion is a result of trying to navigate through life without the influence and the presence of God through the person of Jesus Christ. I say that because I see that in my own life. I recognize in my own life that there are moments and times when I too, not to the extreme of King David, but I at times will try to live out my faith without the presence of God. And when I live from a place of self, I only create chaos and confusion and I have a lack of peace. I was sharing with our team, they're sitting in here today. I was sharing with the team earlier this morning that today, 28 years of, of when I started pastoring, August 1st, 1993, I started pastoring 28 years ago. And God started unfolding that call in my life. And what I've recognized in my own personal journey, and as I've recognized in the lives of others that I journey with and I watch and I follow and I'm part of, I recognize that there are moments and times, yes, where we, where we meander. Yes, there's moments when I do. There's moments when my faith becomes professional because I'm, I'm paid to read the Bible, I'm paid to pray, I'm paid to invest in people, but yet it is a calling on my life where I recognize that I am to live in the sweetness of my faith out of obedience and the transformational work of the Holy Spirit in my life. And when I live in that space, I find that there's less chaos in my relationships. There's less chaos in areas of my life where I long for the peace of God. See, this is what I think. I think each and every one of us are searching for peace, and we don't even know it. We're longing for peace. It's what we do in our lives. Each and every one of us, those of you who are in this room, those of you who are watching online, we're all searching for something, and it's defined as peace. We're all looking to live from a place of shalom. It's why we do what we do. It's why we pursue things. It's why we go after things. It's because we're longing for peace. And today, I guess for me, I step into this moment, and I say, wouldn't it be beautiful if today we just stepped back and did something that Jesus encouraged us to do? Jesus did this amazing sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, he does this thing called the Beatitudes. And in the Beatitudes, he says that at the very beginning, he sets the tone of what it means to live in the beauty of being human in the kingdom of God. He says these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, if we're only living for the things of this world, then we're gonna live in disorder and confusion and the lack of peace. But when we pursue the things of God, when we recognize that we are poor in spirit is when we become rich in spirit because we have access to the kingdom of God. I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna ask you a question right now that my wife asked me this morning on the way to church. We were driving here this morning. She says, how you feeling? I said, I don't know, I'm feeling unsettled. And she says, what's your problem? I said, I don't know. Is someone putting pressure on you? I don't know. I was like, and then she looked at me. I don't know if she read my talk or not, but I wrote in a question here. How's it working for you, she says. How's it working for you? 
And I'm going to ask you the same question. As you look at your life right now, I'm going to ask you all of you in the room. There's like 10 of you, maybe more than 10, maybe 12. How is it working for you? How's it going? The life you're pursuing, is it peace? Is there order? Or is it chaos? Is it confusion? Maybe it's today. Maybe it's today, each and every single one of us step back and go, maybe I'm living with the absence of the divine. It's not that you're not in a relationship with God. It's just you've chosen to live outside of his influence and live from a place of self. And maybe it's today is the day where you say, I'm gonna live for God today. Don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. Just today. I was 17 years old. I found myself at the front of a church on my knees and one of my youth leaders came beside me and he prayed with me when I was 17 I finally listened to the voice of Jesus and I surrendered my life to him at 17 maybe it's today maybe today you're 12 years old maybe you're 15 maybe you're 25 maybe you're 32 maybe you're 45 maybe you're 53 maybe you're 85 anywhere in between maybe it's today where you recognize I've been living from a place of self and all it's doing is giving, creating disorder and chaos. And maybe it's today where you step back into the presence of God by faith. You trust in Jesus Christ. You place your trust in him and you walk into that beautiful relationship. Maybe you've walked away from God. Maybe you've bought some of the lies that our culture and our society is telling us and you've bought into it. Because on the surface, let me tell you, it's attractive. It sounds good. It's, uh, it's got all the bells and whistles. It's gonna lead us to a place of dead end. And maybe you've been doing that and you're already a follower of Jesus. You've been doing that. And maybe today's the day you say, you know what, no longer. I'm no longer gonna have an ear to the culture and society. I'm gonna have an ear to God and his spirit and my relationship with Jesus. And I'm gonna walk and following in obedience to him. Because when we do... It's a sense of peace. I'm not talking about, I want to be careful because you're like, oh, does this mean that my life's going to get easy? Nope. Nope. There will still be pain. There will still be loss. There will still be times when you're hurt. There will be still times when you weep. There's going to be times when there's lament. There's going to be times when life just feels like it's falling apart and the waves are crashing and the mountains are coming. It feels like the earth is opening up. But yet, in the midst of the power and the working of God, we can have a peace that goes beyond our understanding. Wouldn't it be beautiful today if you just simply said a prayer, Jesus, I'm done living for myself. I want to live for you. I'm done living for the things of this world and I want to live for you. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of the very clear things that we wanted to do this year as a church, there's three priorities we had. Formation, obedience, formation, engagement, and obedience. And maybe today, it's your step of obedience to the work of the spirit in your life to bring about a sense of peace. May it be so for us today.